Thanks for checking out a sermon from First United Methodist Church located in Sheridan, Wyoming. To learn more about who we are, please check out our webpage at fumcsheridanwy.org. Today's first scripture reading comes from Jonah chapter, thir- chapter 3, verse 10 through chapter 4, verse 11. When God saw what they did, How they had turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he said he would bring upon them, and he he did not do it. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is, is this not what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled Tarshish fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for is it better for me to die than to live? And the Lord said, it is, right for, is it right for you to be angry? Then Jonah went out of the city and sat down east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, waiting to see what would become of the city. The Lord God appointed a bush and made it come up over Jonah to give shade over his head, to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy about the bush. But when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the bush so that it withered. When the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and asked that he might die. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And he said, yes angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you are concerned about the bush for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came into being in the night and perished in a night. And should I not, and should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also many animals? Second reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 20, verse 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, "You you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now, when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last last worked only an hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give the last the same as I give, give to you. 
Am I not allowed to do with what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. <laughs> the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As a perfect response to the readings. Ooh. <laughs> yes, yes. Would you pray with me? God, I ask that the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing and glorifying to you. Amen. Now, these two passages that we hear this morning, one from Jonah, one from Matthew, I believe challenge us with a very similar idea. Uh, and I appreciate the creators of the Revised Common Lectionary putting these passages together. Uh, when I started preparing this week, uh, for the worship service this week, it, it put a smile to my face that we could talk about Jonah. Uh, and so we're going to be talking about both of these. Very excited about that. Uh, because these two passages work really well hand in hand. They work well together. Uh, and they help us to understand more about God and God's generosity, God's grace, uh, as well as our own. Before we jump into these passages, uh, you, you, you know me in definitions. I want us to define two words before we jump completely in. What does it mean to be generous? Okay, uh, I heard selfish? Unselfish. unselfish. <laughs> okay, very good. Un unselfish, to give freely. Oh, this is great. What? Okay, to give more than asked. Did you? Okay, share what you have. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. If you were going to look up the de definition in the concise Oxford English Dictionary, this is what you would find. Freely giving more of something than is necessary or expected. The Greek understanding of generous is pertaining to meeting a high standard of worth and merit. So you're looking at someone else and giving them a high standard of worth and merit. What about the word grace? What does grace mean? You said that's harder? Do you want me to just jump to the definition? Okay. If you look it up in the concise Oxford English Dictionary, this is what you find. Elegance of movement. Grace. Courteous goodwill. That's definition number two. Definition number three is the free and unearned favor of God. It's in there. We just had to look a little deeper for it. In the Greek, it's a beneficent disposition towards someone. It could also be translated favor, grace, gracious care, or help, or goodwill. I invite us to hold on to these uh, definitions as we, as we look at these passages today from Matthew and from Jonah because it's pertinent to what we're talking about. 
So we're going to first start with Matthew and work our way to Jonah. So Matthew and the parable of the landowner. Now it's important for us to understand that this parable is part of a larger conversation that is taking place. This larger conversation is between Jesus, a rich young ruler, and the disciples. The gist of the verses leading up to this parable is about receiving grace. Grace is not a prize to be won or received based on merit. Which then, as we listen to this parable, listen to this story, we realize that the point that Jesus is trying to make is reiterated again in this story of the landowner. The challenge is... We live in a world that bases self-worth and social status on merit. They did as well 2,000 years ago. And so what Jesus is talking about here is wonky. It makes no sense which is a lot of what Jesus does when he teaches and and preaches and helps challenge us is he makes the comfortable uncomfortable and the uncomfortable comfortable. We hear at the beginning of this parable that we're given the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like, which takes our attention and, and directs it around the idea of learning more about what this new community is, is supposed to be, what it's, what it's, what it's going to look like, this new community that Matthew has been talking about for chapters now. Along with this new community, we also learn about the values of this community. And this parable helps us understand the values of this new community. So, as we look at this parable, there is one main character, right? And that one main character is the landowner. Yeah, the landowner. Now, the landowner is what this entire story is based off of. So, when we hear this story, it's harvest time, It's harvest time for this landowner. There's a lot of work to be done, and he needs laborers to bring in the harvest. Those that would have been hearing this parable would have been able to connect with this parable way better than we can. However, I want us to understand just a few pieces to this puzzle. Day laborers were typically hired at sunup and paid at the end of the day. They were typically paid a denarii, which was a normal day's wage. They were paid every single day because a denarii was barely enough to meet the daily needs of a family. And so when a day laborer would work, they would get paid that exact same day. What makes this story different than the traditional landowner hiring folks to come is the fact that the initial laborers are not the only ones that get hired. Now, 
a landowner very rarely went to go hire the, the workers. That was the manager's job. But in this story, we hear that the landowner is the one that is making the trek to go hire the workers. Now, when the landowner goes and hires this first set of workers, right around 6 a.m. in the morning, they are the only ones, did you notice that? They are the only ones that get an agreement, a verbal contract, that what they're going to receive for their day's work is a day's wage. As the landowner goes back, the others that are hired do not have the same agreement. There's a different agreement. And we hear that when the landowner goes back to hire the next crew at 9 a.m., they're told that they will get paid whatever is right. And yet they go with the landowner anyway. And as the day unfolds, the landowner goes back to hire more and more people, again at noon, again at 3 p.m., and again at 5 p.m., those, he goes back to hire, the, at the very last part of the day, those that no one else wanted. Yet he brings them back to help with his harvest. As the shift ends at 6 p.m., and all the laborers are brought back to the location to get paid, this is the moment that creates a deeply disturbing element to the story. The landowner pays those that he has hired last first. Did you notice that? Those that began work at 5 p.m., they worked for roughly an hour, and they still get paid one denarii, an entire day's wage. <laughs> if you started work at 6 a.m. and you ended work at 6 p.m., how thrilled would you be if you saw someone who only worked for an hour get the same amount that you got? That's the basis of the story, right? Because notice how in the parable, nothing is said about the folks that get hired at three, noon, or nine. I mean, they, they get paid, obviously, but it's the connection between the last and the first that we're not meant to miss. As the first that got hired, as they're watching this whole thing go down, in their mind, which I would think that we would be the same way, in their mind they're going, whoa, if they're getting a denarii just for one hour's worth of work, how many am I going to get? Am I the only one that would be thinking that? Oh, this is exciting. I wonder what's going to happen. I wonder what's going to happen surely we are more valued than those that just worked for a simple hour. 
When their time was set to come up and receive their pay, you could just sort of feel the intensity, the excitement, the wonder of what we're going to get, only to put their hand out and get a denarii. One full day's wage in their hand. And there are many words that flow through my head wondering what those individuals were thinking and saying and experiencing deep down because this is ridiculous. This is totally unfair. Surely we should have received more. Call the union. (laughs) Now, scholars believe that this parable originally ended at verse 13 or maybe even the first part of verse 14. And this is, this is how they believe the parable ended. Uh, but he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. Matthew adds this next uh, rest of the, the verses here to, to help us with the allegorical interpretation. This is what he adds to it. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Those who had worked all day did not object to what the others received. Did you notice that? They didn't object to what others received, but they expected that they should receive more. They received what was agreed to, but they object to being made equal to those that did not Put in more time. The last that were hired were made equal by grace. And the first laborers that showed up in the field that day are struggling with that fact. What Matthew adds helps remind us that God is over grace. Grace cannot be presumed. Grace is always amazing grace. Grace that can be calculated and expected ceases to be grace. Which then brings us to the Jonah story, which if you spent time reading the Jonah story I'm looking at the book of Jonah. It is without a doubt one of my favorite top five books of the Bible to explore. The structure and the lesson of grace as you read through this book is humbling. This morning, we get the privilege of skipping the entire front part of Jonah and going right to the heart of the story, right to the main lesson of of the book Because I think typically we like to think of Jonah. When you think of Jonah, what's the first thing you think of? 
whale. Yeah, we can't get, get past that. Jonah and, and the whale. And usually when we hear this story, uh, we stop. We stop before we get to this point, these verses that we heard today, because the verses that we heard today are uncomfortable and really, I think, hit too close to home. So we're just going to stop and, and view the story of Jonah as, as Jonah running away from God, God getting him back to the land, getting him back to the Ninevites, bringing the message to the Ninevites, and that's a good place to stop for today. Yet, today, we hear the main story of Jonah. This is what hits close to home. Because the Ninevites were enemies of the Israelites. Jonah was a prophet of God, given a message to take to the Ninevites. And Jonah's response? No, that's a nice, that's a very nice way of putting it. Thank you. I was going to say it a little differently, but that's, that's no thanks. Uh-uh. I am, I'm going to Tarshish, getting as far away from this as possible. That didn't quite work out well for him. So eventually Jonah does go to Nineveh and brings the message half-heartedly, I might add, to the people of Nineveh, expecting that they wouldn't have any response. And this is where we pick up this morning. After Jonah brings this message to Nineveh, he then goes up to a mountain, sits on the mountain, waiting for the fireworks. Because he wants to see these Ninevites get destroyed. When God says go, and Jonah says no, God is still at work, not just in Jonah, but in the Ninevites. When the Ninevites repent, Jonah continues to wait. Jonah is sitting on this hillside, again, waiting for the show. He wants the Ninevites to be destroyed, yet God does not destroy them. God demonstrates grace. And it wasn't received well by Jonah. It would be better for me to die. I told you this was going to happen. This plant is too much. I can't take any more. Jonah might have been a little overdramatic. Because I would imagine in his head, he is thinking that there is no way that these Ninevites should be as valued as much as the Israelites. Because the Israelites are the chosen people of God. Yet, we learn, even in the story of Jonah, which is a, a poetic, poet, beautifully organized story that shows us that God's grace cannot be confined to our own expectations. Hmm. When we sit with these passages, 
and allow them to, to play out in our mind, allow them to speak to us, they will challenge our way of thinking about grace. The disciples followed Jesus from the very beginning. Don't they deserve more? More what? For grace is just simply that. It's grace. One of the classes in seminary, they made us memorize these different sayings. Uh, There was a couple verses that were in there. And one of the sayings that we were required to memorize is there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. And to me, when I think about that phraseology, that's grace. So then at the end of all of this, we're left with a choice. Are we going to be resentful or are we going to celebrate the grace that is received by others even if we have walked this path longer? For resentfulness leads to enviousness and bitterness which is where we leave Jonah on the side of the hill that day. But celebration leads to generosity and abundant life. May we celebrate grace, grace that we have all received. May we live out the grace, so that others might experience this same love and compassion that we have been given. May we not be bitter, but live. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that we do not define your grace, but that you define it for us. Help us, God. Help us to have your understanding of love and grace in our hearts and minds so that we may look to others and value them the way that you do. God, we love you. We thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We would love for you to join us again for worship in person or online, and we look forward to being with you next time.